Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Sorry to miss your big day. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Baby wipes. Wipe the baby. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. <laughs> Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into this epic conclusion to our second favourite video games subsection of this season, we wanted to let you know what's going to be happening over the next few weeks with the podcast, as you'll undoubtedly have noticed, we're only one game each away from the end of our countdowns. Fear not, first of all, this will not be the end of the podcast. We have many plans for the future of the show, and we will keep you updated with those over the coming weeks. Secondly, We've decided to do something very special for our number ones, and uh, that is to construct a proper finale episode to round everything off. We realised that we didn't want to finish our countdowns recording remotely, as we have done basically this whole time. We had planned to meet up and record more episodes in person together with the you know all three of us in the same room, but you know the pandemic had other plans. The little bastard. But now we are confident that we can record this safely. In a few weeks' time, we will be dropping the Hour 3 Cents finale at your feet, in which you will hear all three of our favourite video games of all time. There will be an epic conclusion to the O3C quiz, which will see Minty or Chris crowned victorious, and will also uh, be able to give you a sneak peek into the future of the podcast. And as a super, super bonus... We're actually going to be filming the recording of the finale and we'll be releasing that video online exclusively for our Patreon subscribers. It'll also be your chance to see behind the curtain as the video will be the full unedited version of the finale. So you may well see some unexpected bonus content and uh, you'll get to see the looks on our faces when Minty tells us his favourite game of all time is actually Pepsi Man. If you want to get a front row seat to that finale film, then head over to patreon.com slash our3cents and get subscribing to any of the pledging tiers that you see there. And then please do join us in the Patreon exclusive Discord channel as well to chat through the whole shebang with us. It's going to take us a little longer to put this finale together than a usual episode, but we can confirm that we will be releasing that on the 11th of October 2021. But because we love you we're not going to hang you out to dry we're going to tide you over in the meantime with uh with with a couple more bonus episodes to leave you with first of which will be coming next week which is our honorable mentions special we've teased a few times in the show before and uh, this episode will feature us giving a rundown of our top 10 honorable mentions the games that almost made it onto our top 100 lists but just fell short for one reason or another and then following that special, we also have a real celebration of you lovely listeners coming as we are putting together the Your Three Cents bonus episode featuring a top 10 of the top 10 lists that we've been sent in by you excellent people. We'll be giving you a rundown of the 100 games that you have deemed listworthy and give our collective thoughts on those choices. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun and I hope that you really enjoy this final coverage of 130 plus games over the next two bonus episodes which will hopefully thoroughly have whetted your appetites to hear about three more in the finale so this week we have my second favorite video game of all time so close to the end now this is it this is it 
We've got nothing left. Oh. We've got literally nothing left to talk about other than the three greatest games that we know. C- could be two. Two of us could have the same one. Could be one. It could be... We could all be saying the same thing. Pepsi Man. Mm, it's probably not Pepsi Man. Yeah. But before we dive into hearing all about my second favourite video game, it's time to return to the quiz. But before we do that... I did not see oh. this coming. It's time to... Take a step to the side for the Quizmaster's Challenge. Ah, the gauntlet. As we know, um, Jonathan, you are an avid fan of Richard Osman's House of Games. Big fan. Or as we like to call it in our house, uh, Dickie's Hog. (laughs) So I thought I would come up with my own little round based on that show, which I have called Four Three Cents. Ah. So I'm going to describe three games, all of which were on your list. And you've got to name the game that I'm describing, and it's got an extra letter in it. An extra letter? Yes. Okay. Here's the first one. You play a young hero clad in green with a triforce of courage as he looks for something to put on his toothbrush. No, I'm going to have to pass on that. I mean, I'm assuming it's Zelda of some kind, but uh, a, li- a Link to the Paste. Correct. A Link to the Paste. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, your second one. After a thorough sudding, it's time for the next stage in washing this archaeologist. Hmm. Well, it's going to be Tomb Raider. It's the only archaeologist that's been in my list. Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider anniversary. Tumble dry. (laughs) (laughs) Tumble tumble dryer. No, I'm going to have to pass on that one, I'm afraid. Okay. I I can't think of of something. Well, the next stage after getting uh, your archaeologist good and soapy is the rinse of the Tomb Raider. Oh, fuck. I totally (laughs) forgot I had Rise of the Tomb Raider in there. I was thinking of Tomb Raider anniversary. I was like, Tomb Raider and a a laundry? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. We've been doing this for so long. It's really hard to remember our own games at this point. I know. This is why the quiz is always a challenge. Now you know, Jonathan. Now you know. Oh. Here's your last one. You're trying to loosen the grip of a young wizard. Oh, I've got this one and it's really good. <laughs> Come on, Jonathan. I'm, I'm absolutely rooting for you here. <laughs> oh, oh uh, is it Lego Harry Potter? Let go Harry Potter? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's very strong. That's very strong, Minty. Okay, so you got two out of three there which nets you uh, two-thirds of a point and a little present for when I next see you. Ah, that's very exciting. That's very exciting. Anyway, back in the realm of the O3C quiz, I cannot believe how many twists and turns this uh, (laughs) quiz has taken. It's, It's almost scripted. You'd be forgiven for thinking it is, but it's not. But Minty has now clawed back uh, some some pointage, and he is now one point in the lead above Chris. Unacceptable. I'm going to tell you now that you are in for a treat with the quiz in the finale, where there's going to be quite a few points up for grabs. It's still going to be anyone's game, but this is going to be very crucial for uh, for going into that with uh, with your nose just a just ahead of the other. Oh boy! So. This round is a bit of a fun one. It's a riff on a round from House of Games. Sorry, it's a riff on a round from Dickie's Hog, uh, but also a riff on a YouTube series called Um Actually. Thank you to Patreon subscriber Rob Wade for putting me onto that one. What I'll do is I'm going to read you a statement, okay? And there will be an error in the statement, and you need to simply 
correct the Quizmaster. You'll have three each, and there will also be a chance to steal if your opponent gets theirs wrong. Ooh, so okay. pay attention at all times. Quiz. This is your first one. Are you ready? Right. Correct this statement. Resident Evil is a 90s survival horror game where you explore a zombie-infested mansion playing as either Leon Kennedy or Jill Valentine. I, I've never played a Resident Evil game, so, well, in earnest, especially not the first one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it all sounds right. Well, I'm going to give Chris a chance to steal this point if you can correct the sentence. It should be Chris Redfield and not Leon Kennedy. That is absolutely the correct answer. That is one point for Chris. Well done. We're back on evens. Okay, Chris, are you ready for your first one? Yes. In its launch year, Sega sold 710,000 units of its handheld gaming system, the Game Boy. The Game Gear. That is incorrect. Minty, it passes over to you. To correct the statement. Okay. In its launch year, Sega sold 710,000 units of its handheld gaming system, the Game Boy. Fuck it. I'd like to change Sega to Nintendo. That is the correct answer. (gasps) Well done, Minty. Chris. Fuck. Well, the Game Gear sold around about 500,000 units in its launch year. Uh, The Game Boy had a, a, a surprisingly poor first year. Obviously, it went on to sell millions upon millions uh, subsequently. I, I, I thought it would have to be referring to the Game Gear because I thought in my head the Game Boy was just doing gangbusters from day one, but I guess it wasn't. So more fool me. Well, there we go. Okay, Minty, your second one. In 1995, Nintendo released their experimental 16-bit tabletop portable video game console, the Virtual Boy. Ah, uh, Surely it wouldn't be as late as 95. Um... Would it have been 1985? That is not the correct ah. answer, I'm afraid. Chris, <sighs> the chance goes to you to steal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that it's still technically eight bit. That is also incorrect. Oh. The ridiculous thing is, all you need to do is scroll back a couple of weeks in the group chat, and I told you that it was a 32 bit system technically. Oh, oh you did. Yep, oh. that was a test on whether or not you actually pay attention to me, and you both failed. And that's the end of this show. Good night. <laughs> oh. oh god, that's really annoying. That's that's really annoying. <laughs> Chris, your second one. Bullfrog Productions are a famed video games company based in Guildford, whose oeuvre includes the theme park and Dungeon Master franchises. <sighs> that all sounds right. Even Guildford. I'm pretty sure they are Guildford. I, okay, I think it's got to be their name. I think they're actually called something like... Uh, Bullfrog Entertainment. It's incorrect. <laughs> Monty, um, you have a chance to steal. Bullfrog Productions are a famed video games company based in Guildford, whose oeuvre includes the theme park and Dungeon Master franchises. I think I'm going to change Bullfrog to Bulldog. That, unfortunately, is is not correct. I know it now. I, I've re-listened. I know what it is. I know it. Oh, well, you're not going to get the point, oh, Chris, but it's, it's Dungeon Keeper. It's Dungeon Keeper, it's yes, not it Dungeon is. Master. It's Dungeon Keeper, not Dungeon Master. Fuck's go. sake. Gotta use your ears, guys. Fuck. <sighs> okay, Minty, your last one. Here I come. In a strange twist of censorship, 
Konami were forced to remove all references to guns in the Game Boy Color game Metal Gear Ghost Babel. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that they had to remove all mention of women. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that is not correct, Minty. No, there were several women in the story of Metal Gear Ghost Dark Fable. times for the industry. Chris, <laughs> you have a chance to steal. I think it's removal of all reference to smoking. I will award you the point for that, Chris. Oh, yes. Yes. The, uh, yes, absolutely. Smoking or cigarettes uh, oh. were what was censored out. Chris, your final one. Okay. In 2013, WayForward launched a hugely successful Kickstarter campaign to fund their latest entry in the Shantae series. Shantae, Half Pint Hero. It's not Half Pint, it's Half... I I, I think it's Half Genie Hero. That is the correct answer. Oh, God. I was getting ready to throw the table. (laughs) It's like, mm-hmm. If it was going to be some technicality, I, I was I was going to be fuming. <laughs> Congratulations. You've clawed back some points. You are now one point ahead of Minty. Yeah. Uh, you are leading 88 points to 87, going into what can only be described as an enormous finale. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have we played this week? I'm going to kick us off. The main thing I did this week was I finished Astalon, which I spoke about in the last episode, and that was really good fun. There were a few slightly confusing bits because... Like, I didn't quite realise how much the game caters for exploring this tower uh, that it's set in, in any way that you want. So a couple of times I found myself going through, like, a real gauntlet to get a power-up or an ability that I didn't really need to use because I was so much further in the game than probably most people were when they got it. So, for example, there's like a, there's a character that you unlock who can pick up certain blocks around the map and, and chuck them about to access other areas. And I unlocked an ability for him where he could conjure his own blocks. And basically it meant that when I had him, his ability to pick up blocks was totally redundant because I could like manifest my own blocks uh, you know at will uh, but still i mean there are always places in the game that you do need to use all of the different abilities you find if you want to find and unlock everything which obviously i found myself just instinctively doing because it's always fun to fully explore a metroidvania map find all the secrets the final boss was a bit of a pushover because my character was just really overpowered by the time <laughs> I got to it. Like, I, I did, uh, well, I didn't actually mean to go into the boss fight at first and my health was quite low. So I lost once, but I, when I went back at full health, it barely got a scratch on me, which which was fine. But between like those elements, it feels like the game isn't quite as well balanced as it could have been. And I think depending on the route you take through the game, your experience of that will differ massively because I know people who have said that it's the best Metroidvania since Hollow Knight, but also people saying that it was really badly paced. And I guess that's the disadvantage of having a game be as open as this one. Uh, But there are like multiple endings to unlock. So that does encourage repeat playthroughs, which I I might do at some point. All in all, I definitely recommend it though. It's a really, really good Metroidvania and it's, you know, it's a nice sort of retro throwback game. But then I had a bit of a tough time trying to, find something new to play on my switch because i wasn't really sure what gaming itch i was trying to scratch like i did actually i did boot up pokemon snap and try out the new routes that were released for that in a bit of free dlc recently that was 
nice. But then I, I sort of got like, you know, Netflix syndrome as there were like so many games I had and games that were on sale on the eShop <laughs> that I ended up playing a little bit of a lot and not really finding any like proper satisfaction. Yeah. So I did actually, I, I took Quake for a quick spin around the block and a quick blowy in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> I liked what you said, Minty, uh, last week about it being Doom 64 1.5, which yes. would make it Quake 96, which is the year it came out. Well, there you go. Yeah. I just found it just a bit too frustrating without a map system. Like I, I just personally, I find it very difficult to navigate my way around inside spaces in real life and get a sense of direction for where I'm meant to be going. So when everything also sort of looks the same, I, I find it nigh on impossible. The only way I managed to beat Doom when I played through that was by having the map open constantly and basically just resorting to, you know, hugging walls and only turning right, like how you would solve a hedge maze. <laughs> so I popped that down. Maybe I need to play it with Minty by my side as like a Sherpa or something. Then I popped in Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, which is, I played a few hours of that. It's a really nice setup, but I just didn't have the patience to learn literally everything I needed to learn about rice farming, which was all of it didn't have it in me <laughs> then i thought oh i'll give uh, monster hunter generations ultimate a go which is obviously enormous and epic but i'll be honest the quality of life elements that are that were added in rise over this game it kind of makes it almost unplayable now that i'm so used to those things in rise so that was very frustrating from the start and i've put that back down i might pick it up again in the future don't know I had Into the Breach sat on my console and I didn't realise actually how advanced Warzy it was in its setup and uh, I thought it was more of a real-time action roguelike set in space and I just didn't really have the energy to use my head strategically so I decided to buy and start playing Spelunky which was Chris's 87th favourite game of all time. Long time ago. Yeah it's a really long time ago. Um, you said it was like the first action adventure roguelike that started the real movement. I listened back to the episode where you spoke about that you know just to sort of uh, get, get a sense of us of how I could talk to you about it. And um, <laughs> you said you said it was very strange that it wasn't released on the Switch. Uh, and obviously um, it has now just been released on the Switch with its sequel. And I mean, it's, it's brilliantly simple in its setup. It's extremely brutal in its execution. And I, I'm not, I'll be honest. Like I know how many playthroughs it's going to take for me to get good at it. And I can't be bothered. <laughs> Like the thing is, like with with <laughs> with other like the thing is, I I know I'm pretty good at video games. I know if nothing, I'm not you know persistent. But like with other hard rogue likes, like say Isaac, you could luck out and get a really good item on the first floor, which yeah. would help take the edge off. Whilst you get more familiar with a lot of other elements in the game, or something like Undermine or Children of Mortar, where you know you can power up your character over time. Spelunky just feels like a slog. Like I'd like to get good at it, but. I just now's not the time. <laughs> I, I always liked it. Obviously, I'm bad at most games, so I, I'm not coming from a position where I suddenly say, "Well, I can just run through Spelunky with my eyes closed," mm. because I never made much progress back then, and I'm sure boosting it up now, I'd be even worse. <laughs> but I quite liked how, as opposed to something like Isaac, that is all about items and synergies and kind of lucking out with with essentially the dice roll of what's going to turn up on each floor. Spelunky is all about learning the basics of the world and then understanding how the elements that are just persistent in each stage interact with each other 
and and I, I kind of I really like it from a, a design standpoint I guess more than I do me being really good at it and it making me feel like a champion yeah no I can I can totally understand that and it was nice to sort of like you said figure out what the rules are you look at them and then you need to understand them <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't really quite have the, I didn't quite have the patience again, really. So I gave Thomas Was Alone a quick blast, which was lovely and as lovely as I remember. But also I remembered it, so it wasn't quite a fresh experience. So I was like, oh, I just kind of want to play something a bit new. So I bought Zeo Drifter, which is uh, another sort of classic Metroidvania game. And that was on sale on the eShop for about a quid. So I thought, oh, I'll play a bit of that. Got a bit annoyed, slash bored. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I bought another game that I saw on sale for about a quid, which was Hexalogic, which I, I'm, I'm sure I've played before or played a version of it, or it might just be similar to that game Hexels yeah. that I played on Steam, which is really nice. It's, it's hexagon-based logic puzzles. It felt it felt much more Sudoku-y than Pit Crossy, like Hexels is, and I, I completed all of that. So that was, that was nice to do. But I think like what I really wanted to play was Pokemon Gold after hearing Minty talk about Pokemon Silver last week. So I've, I've actually loaded up Pokemon Gold on my... Well, Pokemon Crystal, actually, on my uh, on my 3DS. And I've started a new save file on that. So well, there we I go. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do for, for... Well, until I get bored of that, which hopefully won't be for, for a little while because I really feel that's what I want to play at the moment. So that's nice. What about you guys? What dozen games have you played this week? Chris? Well... <laughs> Contrary to, to that list you've just given us, I have barely <laughs> played a thing this week. And and this is the first time that I can properly remember pretty much during the whole run of this show where I can honestly say that I just have not picked up much at all. But what's been interesting about that, to try and find something interesting to say, is, is that the absence of games in my life reaffirms something that we all likely know already that in the broadest sense, games help me and probably both of you to live and to function. <laughs> uh, like in, in my day-to-day life, I have very few vices. Like I, I, I drink fizzy drinks every day. I'm sure I have essentially a caffeine addiction. But still, if I was forced to, after a couple of weeks of a bit of a headache and little peaks and troughs of, of sugar and no sugar energy, I would be fine. Like I could, I could walk away from Coca-Cola and energy drinks and whatever else. But games, I, I'm confident I could not do that. And like this this last week, I've had a string of days at work where I've been at school between about eight o'clock in the morning and six at night. I'm driving home for 45 minutes. I eat dinner. I work for another one or two hours. And then I think I have to be semi-social. So I might watch an episode of something with Georgia and then get ready for bed. And to not have the decompression time that comes with stabbing at buttons and seeing things happen on a screen, it makes me feel almost itchy <laughs> like like games are, are absolutely part of how I manage my own stress levels and how I keep myself organized and how I reward myself sometimes after I have been working and no I'm not at the point where I'm getting the shakes like <laughs> this is not like I'm not going to refer myself to to rehab but I am less happy in myself than I would be if I'd been able to balance the week in the way I normally do so it's been difficult like I, I'm still trying to find at least 10 minutes when I go to bed just to do a Picross puzzle on my 3DS before I go to sleep. But outside of that, realistically, I I haven't played for more than 10 minutes on most of the last seven days. And I'm really hopeful that in a week or two when I'm used to my my new timetable at school and my new classes and my new responsibilities and everything else, that I'll figure out the times when I can put chunks of gaming back in because it is massively important to me. And at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm having these days where 
I've barely got my head above water and I, I need that little release because it, it just helps the rest of the day feel okay if you can balance it with something like that. The only other thing I have done, just before I went back to school properly, I upgraded my external hard drive for the emulation station. <laughs> nice. So I've gone from a, a, a two terabyte drive to a four terabyte drive because I could tell it was not going to cut it for the scope <laughs> of what I was trying to do. So at the bare minimum, like behind my my Google Docs and my Google Slides, I've been able to just watch things download and my library size <laughs> increase slowly. And it's not a proper substitute for, for holding a controller and actually playing the games that are populating the library. But I am just looking forward to hopefully having the time to do that again soon. So yeah, pretty boring for me to be honest, but um, we're surviving. That's the main thing. And I'm hoping this week I can I can get something out for a little bit longer. I hope so too. I do, I do, I do. Minty, how about you? What have you managed to play in the last week? Well, I'm in the same boat as Chris, really. I've not played a huge amount, but what I have played is, of course, uh, some Quake. Ah, yes. Which I'm still... I like. Very Moorish game, I have to say. <laughs> it's it's so quick, it's so easy just to pick up and do a nice quick level. Very satisfying, even though I die all the time, I can just be like, oh, okay, well, that's that, I'm going to go and do something else. Oh, ten minutes later, I'll come back, oh, maybe just one more level. <laughs> so I've come up with a little list of things uh, which I think I like playing Quake for me. Here they are. Uh, a really good spread of soft butter on some toast. <laughs> <laughs> just one swipe clean knife you'll love it uh, a cat running over to you and uh, rubbing its head on your leg when you're out uh, in the street a perfectly barbecued sausage oh yeah juicy but still got that lovely char on the outside a cup of coffee at sunrise making a good shape when you're holding your spouse in bed <laughs> landing a kickflip a pint of bitter in a dimpled glass a fire you built yourself and respecting women. <laughs> I've also started playing Monster Hunter Stories 2, ah, which uh, yes. I've, got, I've got on loan from the local Jonathan Dunn. <laughs> I say I started playing. Um, I haven't actually gotten control of my character yet because I loaded it up. I thought to myself, right, I need to go to work in half an hour. So I'm just going to get the, uh, the I'm just going to get the opening cutscene out of the way so that I can then start playing it uh, when I get home. Unfortunately, that didn't transpire because it's been a very busy week at work. So I've just gone straight to bed. But yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll be uh, I'll be playing that for I'm sure hours at a time. It seems like it's going to be one of those very involving ones, interspersed with maybe five minutes of quake here and there. I don't know. But yeah, that's it. That's it for me this week. Quake and a slice of Monster Hunter. Well, there we go. I'm glad I played 600 games yeah. um, mm. to, uh, to, to bear the brunt of, of our collective gaming activity this last week. <laughs> so, do you guys want to know what my second favourite video game of all time is? Yes, please, do, Jonathan Yes, Nintendo are good, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Th they are, yeah. I'm quite happy that I'm going to make it a clean sweep for Nintendo as our second favourite video games developers after you've both talked about Animal Crossing and Pokemon Silver as your seconds. It's not a handheld game, though, Ooh. but it is, I think, the best game of the 128-bit era, possibly even the best of the generation that came after it as well. I remember the buzz about the game. I remember my friends Tim and Alec, who also had GameCubes, talking about it. If I remember correctly, it was pretty soon after I'd got my GameCube, and I'd been, you know, preoccupied with playing Super Monkey Ball and Star Wars Rogue Leader, and I hadn't even thought about getting up to speed and seeing what games were coming out or the big games that were in development. And they very excitedly asked if I was getting this game when it came out in a couple of months' time. And it's mad to think at that point, because I hadn't owned a NES or a SNES or even an N64, 
But at that point, I didn't even know what a Metroid was. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. But Metroid Prime yeah. was said to me to be the most incredible game coming out on the GameCube. It was a technical showcase with photorealistic graphics and an immersive HUD that showed up flecks of rain and debris. It was a proper next generation evolution of a classic gaming series, taking it into 3D and also first person. The strange thing is... I don't remember what happened in the intervening days, but it didn't take long for Metroid Prime to be the only thing I cared about and to spend (laughs) all of my allotted internet time hoovering up as many images and write-ups and maybe videos of the game. I don't know. It's weird to think that, like, when, well, when Metroid Prime came out, YouTube was still three or four years away, so I may not have seen any video footage of it, but I do remember encountering something very exciting I'd heard there were demos of the game in those console stands you used to get in video game shops but our nearest ones which were probably i think it was like electronics boutique in canterbury they didn't have one but lo and behold one saturday we did what many southeast kent dwellers did and hopped on the ferry over to france for the day to fill our car with bread and wine like we were preparing to deliver communion to the entire country <laughs> and us littlands ran wild in the french supermarché shouting fromage at the tops of our voices because we thought it was funny and this was of course a time before racism was bad <laughs> uh. <laughs> on this one occasion i'd been allowed to bring a friend and that friend was a mutual friend of ours chris indeed a mutual Chris of ours, Chris, and it was Chris Devereaux who accompanied me on this trip, and we couldn't believe it when we were charging around the upper mezzanine and found not only a video game shop that we could subsequently emotionally blackmail my parents into buying me some crappy tat, but it also had a demo booth set up that you could play from the outside of the shop, featuring, you guessed it, Metroid Ruddy Prime. Yeah. So it was only the first part of the game that was in the demo, which is the opening sort of prologue, I guess, set on the uh, space pirate frigate. And you explore the frigate until you find the parasite queen that has fallen into the reactor core, causing uh, the frigate to crash into the planet that it's orbiting. And you end up having a mad five minute rush to escape the frigate as it's crashing. And you lose all your abilities on the way so that when you land back on the planet, uh, Talon 4, you're bare bones back to basic Samus Aran. Like, it was incredible to get to see the game in action. I absolutely loved the Morph Ball, especially as I'd been such a fan of Super Monkey Ball up until that point. <laughs> that felt great to control, even like on the absolutely gopping GameCube controller that had been sat outside this French game shop for what looked like epochs. Like, it was pretty much oozing primordial soup, and like the main analog stick had all the rigidity of the Pope's Holy Winky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, I had the last laugh. And when I got my copy of Metro Prime in the safety of my own home, back in the motherland, or the fatherland as it is for me, I was able to take full control of Samus and start the most wonderfully epic adventure that sees you traverse all the different biomes imaginable, reassemble your power suit's functionality, grow your arsenal and gadgetry to the most obscene levels, and using it to take out all of the horrors on the planet. The way that your adventure starts, in the lush green area of Talon 4, the sound of the rain splashing down around you, the scuttling of indigenous fauna seen and heard all around you, the flora being rife and mysterious, alien and intriguing, yet potentially aggressive and violent. The atmosphere is phenomenal. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll have recently heard in our latest Patreon-exclusive bonus episode 
all about the most immersive video games. And even though I didn't cite this uh, as the apex of that experience uh, for fear of spoilers, I uh, I found it hard not to talk <laughs> about it. And a lot of this immersion comes down to the way the game's presented. I didn't appreciate how much of a departure moving the game into first person was and what a risky move it was for Nintendo if it didn't work. Like not only was it making an enormous change for one of their most precious franchises, but it was also putting Nintendo into direct comparison with the whole first-person shooter genre that was definitely outside of what Nintendo had always developed with their more family-focused games. Now they were, I guess, almost unwittingly pitching Metroid Prime as a competitor to games like Quake and Half-Life on the PC, uh, or even Halo on, you know, on the Xbox, which was the console competitor of the GameCube at the time. But Nintendo was staunchly insistent that this wasn't a first-person shooter. It was a first-person adventure, and it therefore set things up very differently to some of those other games. For a start, it made the ingenious decision to have your HUD integrated into the helmet of your character, which you see from your perspective from within Samus's power suit. And whilst on paper this would give you a more restrictive view, the way it enhanced the level of immersion was quite phenomenal, especially when your visor starts picking up the elements around it. Seeing the, the raindrops appear in front of you like in the rain or watching the water run off it when you're sort of going underwater or the way ice crystals form at the edges in the frozen reaches of the planet. And even like the, the most unforgettable moments when like a bright burst in a darkened area would reveal the reflection of Samus's own face in the visor. Ooh. Like, it scared the living shit out of me the first time I saw that. But when I realised what it was, I, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, it was a detail that was added into the game. It was just absolutely extraordinary. The other thing that really contributed to how you saw the game was the pretty innovative use of different visors that you could obtain and switch between. The most common one you would use would be your, your scan visor, which would highlight anything of interest, uh, you know, around you from like the enemies and the bosses to pieces of architecture and history, traces of space pirate activity and scanning any of these would give you some wonderful bits of lore. And also, I mean, certainly in the case of enemies and, and definitely the bosses, you know, they'd give you crucial bits of information on how to beat them. But then, you know, later on you get the heat visor, which allowed you to view the world by its heat signals, and also the x-ray visor, which would reveal usually hidden elements and aspects of the world, whilst also seeing everything, you know, as if it were an x-ray. I it, it was an element that I couldn't believe was in the game. Again, like, I, I just, I could not believe the GameCube was capable of this level of graphical detail. Like, especially as, like, changing between the different visors, you could do that so swiftly. It, it absolutely blew my mind just to be able to, with a press of a button, see... I, I, just, I don't know how they did it, really. You know, I mean, I know, you know, filters are something that's quite easy to sort of switch on and off. But in my mind, playing that game, it was like I was walking through three or four simultaneous versions of the same area and I could just switch between them. And I just, oh, it just blew my mind. I love it. But I think the main thing that really sets the game apart from its other first-person contemporaries and also a vital element uh, to why I felt so at home with it was the control setup. Like I've said before that, like, I mean, even now, I'm not massively comfortable with playing first-person games on controllers with like a, you know, dual stick setup. Uh, but Metroid Prime didn't have that. Instead, your main analog control stick has you moving forwards and backwards, but instead of strafing left and right, you would turn. But if you used like your lock-on function that you would use to, you know, uh, lock on and attack enemies, then that would cause you to stay focused on that point uh, or, you know, um, you know, an enemy, and then you could strafe. And it, it worked brilliantly for me, and it allowed the second analog stick to be freed up to switch between your different weapons and visors. But because it's been so long since I've 
controlled game like that, I worry now that if or, well, assuming when the trilogy comes to the Switch. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I think I'd have to control it like a modern first person game, which I, I mean, I imagine is how Metroid Prime 3 would have to be controlled without motion controls because that was more of a straight up first person game, like much like Metroid Prime Hunters on the DS, which was, I mean being a remarkable achievement for the ds i mean not really that fun to play that was you know more of a a straight down the line first person shooter and i know that they like they caved to a fair bit of pressure and put like a multi multiplayer mode in metroid prime 2 which i mean just didn't fit in with how you played the game but it was like well it's a first person game you have to have multiplayer otherwise you're not going to sell this speaking of hunters though similarly to you last week minty talking about pokemon silver I was absolutely thrilled that the much earlier release of Metro Prime Hunters in the US coincided with a business trip my dad took to New York and he was able to pick up a copy for me, which I was absolutely thrilled about and did persist through fairly uh, uncomfortable controls to, uh, to, <laughs> to legitimately enjoy. But I, I never completed it because the final boss, like you had about like eight different weapons or different types of gun you had. And everything in the game was color-coded. So you had to go, right, okay, that's orange. So you need to use the orange gun to kill it or whatever. I could just about handle that with my level of colorblindness because you could sort of take most of the game at your own pace to a degree, or at least you'd learn and recognize the enemy and know what, what its weakness was. But the final boss basically would just like randomly shift between these different colours. And I, I remember trying to play it whilst having somebody over my shoulder telling me what colour it was changing to. Because I, but I just couldn't keep up. Couldn't keep up. But <laughs> speaking of the other games, like even though I loved Metroid Prime 2 Echoes and really enjoyed how it expanded on the first game, there was something about the isolation in the first game that captivated me on a, like a deeper level. Like this planet felt alive and hostile and you felt so utterly alone. And I think that meant the sense of exploration was palpable. Like in the same way that when you're playing a big open world game like Skyrim, you keep noticing little details that take you off course from your current objective because you want to explore them. And if you find a roadblock in the way, then you'll make a mental note of it. And when you unlock the right ability or get the right piece of equipment, your mind will go racing back through all the areas you've been to. And I was always so excited to to backtrack through the previous areas to see what I could now find with like my morph ball abilities or a missile launcher or a grapple beam. And I mean, given my obvious love of Metroidvanias going forward, I, I mean, I, I just think it's a brilliant way to set up a game. It's a, it's very efficient and very simple, uh, but, but so, so satisfying and fun as well. And I think the more alone I've felt in a Metroidvania, the more I've enjoyed exploring because there's something so, I don't know, there's just something so intriguing about it. I guess you just feel like a sense of reckless abandon thinking I'm all on my own. And there's nobody to ask what's over that hill yonder so i've got to go and find out you know i've got to go i've got to go and search i've got to go and, i've got to go and see what see what's there and i don't think that's ever done better than in in metro prime because i guess partly because it's in 3d as well like that sense of isolation has an added depth to it that you don't get in 2d games something i can't not talk about is the music, music. in the game because it's obviously brilliant <laughs> uh you know from the atmospheric icy music in fendrana drifts or the serenity of the music in the underwater section which was just i mean well speaking of speaking of that bit 
I think it was only on about like the third playthrough of the game that I realised when you're in that underwater bit, you're exploring the sunken frigate from the opening of the game yeah, that crashed yeah. into the planet. <laughs> like I didn't even realise. I didn't. I didn't realise. I'm sure it was mentioned or referenced in something that I scanned or whatever. But yeah, I just never tweaked. It was an incredible moment when I realised that, and just quite eerie and beautiful to explore that wreckage, utilising like the weightlessness of the submersion. And I remember experiencing quite a, a strange phenomenon with some of the musical themes in the game. Even though this was the first Metroid game I played and I had no real familiarity with the series. And I remember when I first heard the, the save theme and like the item collection themes, just a few notes. And I, I don't know how, but I just got such a pang of nostalgia from them, even though I'd never heard them before. Like... I don't know why. I mean, perhaps it's because they're just perfectly composed motifs that are just designed to resonate, which obviously they absolutely do. And I think I think that mysterious resonance is the reason why this game has featured so highly on my list. I mean, it tapped into something in me that gave me exactly what I wanted in a video game experience. I had no problem playing it over and over again to various levels of completion to unlock all the different endings. It obviously started a long-standing love affair with the rest of the Metroid series, even though I still have never got around to playing Metroid Prime 3. I've played all the rest of the Metroid games. I've played as many of the seminal Metroid-inspired games. And yet there's something about Metroid Prime that remains unsurpassed. And, and I think it comes back to that sense of immersion and that personal resonance. There are elements that I could argue are done better in other games or ideas that are more fully developed in its sequels. But there's a distilled purity to the first Metroid Prime game that makes it almost like the archetype for this setup. And no other game has connected with me or made me want to play it quite as much as Metroid Prime. Possibly not even my my, my number one game. Oh. Metroid Prime is just is something so, so special to me. And I can't wait to play it again because I love it. And it's my second favorite video game of all time. It has to come out for the Switch. It has to. <laughs> it has to. The, the trilogy pack has just been this endless rumour almost since the Switch launched. Yeah. It, it has to be a thing. And and there must be some... Th- there's a time period or something it's going to get dumped on us. Some, some celebration of 20, 25, 30, 35, something amount of years or... I don't know. Because I, I want to play them on the Switch. You've, you've both said how brilliant all these games are. And uh, <laughs> I, for one, I wouldn't be able to play it with that analog stick setup that you've just described, Jonathan. No. <laughs> no. Like, this is the same reason why going back to something like Goldeneye is so hard. Or yeah. if you if there wasn't that remaster of, of Turok, obviously I can't stand the game anyway. But to play it on the <laughs> N64, you move with the, the C buttons to go forwards and strafe and then aim with your left hand. And it's just so alien because no one knew what to do with controllers at the time. Yeah. And obviously it has, it sounds like a purpose in the way it's set out on the GameCube controller, but still that, that would throw me off something awful. So yeah, I just want it as a, as a twin stick thing that I could play normally and experience yeah. all this stuff. Cause I, I think I'd really enjoy it. It's mad that Nintendo kind of passed over the 35th anniversary of Metroid, which was last month. Uh, I mean, they tweeted, and for that we thank them. <laughs> you know, I, I want, I want, I want Metroid Prime Trilogy HD. I want a third little game and watch thing coming out with Metroid, mm. Metroid Two, and Super Metroid on. I want a big plush of a morph ball that I can cuddle. I want, I want it. I want everything. <laughs> Beautiful game. 
Really, really lovely though. Maybe next year. Maybe they'll maybe they'll claim it's like the the European anniversary or something, just so they can stagger it away from the Zelda one. Yeah. To be fair, the first Metroid game, ah, the first Metroid game came out on the Famicom Disk System oh, before okay. it came out on the NES in North America in eighty seven and uh, and then nineteen eighty eight in Europe. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. Could be trilogy pack. Come on, boys, next year. Come on. <laughs> So there we have it. That was my second favourite video game of all time, which of course was Metroid Prime. If you've enjoyed this episode, if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms, tell your friends about it, and you can engage with us on our social media platforms as well. You can find all of those on our link tree, linktr.ee slash o3c podcast. You can chat to us on Facebook on instagram you can watch our youtube videos you can tune in on twitch when we're streaming i mean we, we'd love to hear from you so chat to us or you can take us to task individually you can reach out to us directly one-on-one mano a mano <laughs> stripped to the waist to the death i'm on twitter at jonathan dunn i am at Chaz underscore hodges and i'm clement underscore boo and if you're really enjoying what we're doing please do check out our patreon page patreon.com slash our three cents there are loads of amazing perks available to you now and you will also get the chance to join us in the exclusive discord channel to chat about the future of the show which is I can say, because I know what it is, is very exciting and you want to be there. And please do join us next week for a lovely bonus episode where we will be talking about the games that just didn't quite make it onto our list. Our honourable mentions. We're going to rinse your ears with 30 of the most adequate games. You don't want to miss it. Not as good as Bomber Raid. Previously on Chat of the Wild. Did anyone kid all the bugs for Agatha? No, yeah. I meant to. And I even had a bug that I like could have given back to her and I forgot. That bug is gone. Don't forever. go in there if if you do and then not give it to her. I know. She can smell it on you. She knows. I know you have bugs. I know you're holding out on me. <laughs> <laughs> I can smell it. <laughs> Did anyone get um, all the pose? No. Chat no, of the God, Wild, no. a game club podcast. Breaking down Zelda and Zelda likes one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Retrograde Amnesia is a comprehensive podcast where we discuss classic Japanese RPGs, chapter by chapter, beat by beat. We've covered Xenogears and Chrono Cross in full. For Season 3, we're covering Final Fantasy VIII. She's facing the opposite direction that Renoa is approaching, I think. Yeah, so Renoa's got a sneak attack here, kind of. She puts her hands behind her back and approaches, like, gingerly. Yeah, you can see the brooch, or whatever, the Odine thing, in her hands as she's Chris, approaching. Chris, such an awful plan. What a tremendous idiot. Oh, yeah, she is absolutely, like, this game is full of idiots, and they're all on our team. Find Retrograde Amnesia on the Greenlit Podcast Network.